we see there's a small crowd today, so we get more volume that way. Number 
Good morning, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. I'm going to do something a little different today that I haven't done for a while. Um, so bear with me. Yeah, we'll be in 2 Timothy 3, um, reading verses 15 through 17. While you're turning there, I'd like to welcome you to Cornerstone Dunkard Brethren Church. We're glad you joined us today. And uh, we're just glad to see everybody here. Thank you for worshiping the Lord with us. Um, and I appreciate Clem giving me the opportunity to speak with you today, and I hope he doesn't regret it. So, <laughs> all righty. Um, I'm going to be reading verses 15 through 17 of, of, of 2 Timothy 3. Starting in verse 15, it says... And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Um, so I was preparing this week for a lesson I'm giving down at the little church plant, and I'm talking about the sufficiency of God's revelations. And one of those revelations is Scripture. God inspired Scripture. We read that here. And um, I personally believe that Scripture is a sufficient revelation from God. Not the only one. you got general revelation, and that's what we see in creation. Romans 1 talks about that. you got special revelation, which is Scripture. And then you have God's personal revelation, which is Jesus Christ. Um, but... Each of those revelations are sufficient for something. General revelation is sufficient to make every man on earth, every man, woman, and man, and woman, without excuse before God, that they know that there's a Creator. They know that they will one day have to give an account. There's no excuse. It's the, God bears witness through creation, and that Scripture is sufficient to live a Christian life. Um, let's go through this a little bit here. It says, "And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures." which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. One thing the scriptures are sufficient for is they tell us how to be saved. I don't have to worry if I have everything I need to know. It's not like one day I want to meet God and God's like, oh, you didn't know you had to do. Uh, I thought, well, God, I thought, you know, believe and, fo believe and follow Jesus Christ and that he would give me eternal life and, you know, commit my life to him as a disciple and a committed faith and that you'd give me eternal life. Well, you didn't know about this. Well, Scripture, Scripture knows that God's, it gives me enough revelation to know how to be saved. It also, uh, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. It comes from God. God breathed it out. And it's profitable. Profitable means it's good for our faith. It also means that it's sufficient for our faith. Now, i got to point to this. Um, it's sufficient for doctrine. Sufficient for truth. What's that mean? That everything I believe, I can base off Scripture. And I can be a full Christian based off what Scripture teaches. I don't have to have Scripture and something. That was what the Reformation was all about. If you study church history, the Reformation was Scripture sufficient and we believe it. It's profitable for doctrine, which is teaching. It's profitable for proof. That's a negative form of correction. If, if I'm doing something wrong, Scripture will confront me. If you're doing something wrong in sin or whatever, Scripture will confront you. So it's, it's a negative sign. But it's also for correction. It's like, John, you were doing this, but I need you to do this. Scripture does both. It says, stop doing this. Instead, do this. It's sufficient like that. 
And then it also gives, so basically the last one, for instruction and righteousness, it gives us everything we need to do to live lives that's righteous before God and how we live obediently to Christ. And it says that the man of God, I'm, you know, I put man, you could put right there beside it, the man of God, that the disciple of Christ may be perfect, that means complete, means, means com, uh, completely mature, means developed. You could be a full Christian based off sufficiency of Scripture. It says, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's given you everything you need to be a good Christian. Now, let me tell you why that matters. Last week, we, I don't know if some of you heard, last week we were sitting around the table and we ended up staying later than most, and we were having this just fascinating conversation about some of our backgrounds. And I was sharing from my background, we did this and this and this, and this is how we did this. And we were just a fascinating conversation about our backgrounds. So I, I, I hope that this goes over well. <laughs> because, okay, okay, I hope this goes over well. I was laughing about it to the point this morning that it, 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 was, it was not even funny anymore. So, so this week I decided to do a little bit of show and tell. Um, this is show and tell. People wonder, John... You, you, read, you read the Brethren book that ties are not usually welcome. I know that. But this is show and tell. I get to share a little bit about my background. But, for, so for just to tell you who I was, it's like, well, John, what do you identify as? Well, I identified as a Baptist American. I, I was identified as a Baptist American. And how do you know that? Because I got my Republican Party American flag pen. Okay, because I donated to the RNC for years now. We're going to get Donald Trump reelected. All right, because that's what good Christians do. So I got my American flag pen. I'm a Baptist American. And so I got my American flag pen. Okay, what I have here before it is, I don't think I've ever preached from it. This is my mother's, but she gave it to me. It's a genuine leather, double-barreled, Schofield reference Bible. King James Version. You'll notice that it's real thick, so that way if I do this, you all will wake up in the middle of the sermon. Because that's what good preachers do. Don't fall asleep. Oh, and I knew one preacher. He, he did it. You would be, you'd be nodding off, and he'd see you. You're up. You did not do that. So it's a double, and I had a, I had a, good, a wonderful man. So you got your double-barrel Schofield on you. And for those who don't know, Schofield is one of the reasons why we have such a broad dispensing of dispensationalism within most modern Christianity. So anyway, I have my double-barrel Schofield King James reference Bible, and if I walked around, I would tell you we're autonomous, we are independent, we're fundamental, we're fundamental Baptists. We're not just Baptists, we're fundamental Baptists, okay? We're fundamental, we're soul-winning, okay? If you're not soul-winning, then you ain't loving Jesus. You better be out there telling people that there's a hell they're going to burn in. You better get back now. So we're soul winning and we are 1611 dispensationalist, King James Bible preaching, holding. I mean, I mean, there are times I thought if we would have got gold-plated KJV on the backs of our Bibles, that way when we thump people with them, it would take KJV on their forehead. You know what I'm saying? That's what you do. That's what you do. Now, so someone's going to go do that. They're going to go get a KJV, put it right there, so that way when they thump somebody, they're going to remember it. Okay, we don't have brass knuckles. We do have brass letters. All right? So, I don't know if you could tell, I'm wearing my traditional Baptist American garb. Now, this might not be from your background, but from my background, this is very common. 
All right, so for those who don't know what this is, you'll see that I'm wearing pleated dress pants. And, I, and by the way, this is all I can source this out where I can get this material. <laughs> I'm wearing pleated dress slacks and nice, though needs to be polished, dress shoes. You know what that means. When, it, when someone walks in wearing that stuff, they're going to be preaching about sin and hellfire. That's what it goes. When a preacher walks in with pleated pants and dress shoes on, you better be ready for some hellfire, Bible preaching, and I'm going to preach against sin, and you know it's coming. All righty? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but my belt is it's flexible. So that way, after I eat all that fried chicken, it expands with me. Okay? You come prepared. That's what you do. Because fried chicken is a staple for the American church. Okay? You can't have church without fried chicken. Now, you'll notice that I'm wearing this really nice suit coat. It's also called a sport coat. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen someone in the church wear one. So anyway, it's a really nice sport coat. And um, what does this mean? Because every, every most traditional Baptist churches say you have to wear a sport coat. What's it mean? It means that it's a symbol of professionalism. We take God seriously. I dress up. I look nice for God today. Okay. It's a symbol of seriousness and decency, and it's often a symbol of love for God and country. It's often, and, and, and so it's love for God and country. Now, what you also notice here, to complete my ensemble, is a tie, like we were talking about earlier, a tie. What does this tie mean? Well, this tie means, again, it's a serious, it's a professional, because I'm a professional, I know what I'm doing, don't question what I'm saying. Okay, secondly, what does a tie mean? A tie means seriousness, decency, a love for God and country. And it's often worn by politicians, salesmen, um, cheesy prom dates, and uh, Baptist preachers. Okay? That's who wears ties. And I, okay? Well, so far, this, I, no one's told me to stop yet, so we're good. And again, and, what I, and per, my personal reason why I love suit coats is because after eating all that fried chicken, it's nice to be able to cover some of that up. So... Anyway, and then I have right here is a towel, because when you're preaching and your face is blood red and sweat's pouring down, you got to have a towel up here. You have to have a towel. If you don't have a towel, how are you going to wipe your face off? You're going to drench your clothes. you got to be able to wipe your face off with a towel. Now, why am I telling you all that? You're like, John, that's, that's nice. It's a, little, it's a little funny. Here's, here's the problem. Now, I had Elisha come up with me, and I did this on purpose. Because let's say I'm teaching my son to be a Christian. I want him to be a follower of Jesus. I want him to be a Christian. And I tell him, I say, son, now, before I actually go there, before, sorry. How much of this can I prove from the Bible? How much of what I shared with you today can I actually prove from the Bible? Well, I could probably prove um, through preservation of Scripture why someone would want to continue to use the King James. I could prove that hell is real and that people will be there and burn and people will be punished for eternity. That's pretty important. And that's about it. That's about all I got. I think the rest of it I would have trouble proving from Scripture. Is Scripture sufficient? That's the question. Is Scripture sufficient? So when I go to my boy and I say, listen, son, You need to love your enemies because Jesus taught us, and I can prove it to you. I can show you in the Bible where we're supposed to love our enemies. Do you believe me? 
Now listen, son, if you're going to be a good Christian, you're going to have to get a suit coat. We're going to put a tie on you. I can't show you that from the Bible, but that's what good Christians do. Do you believe me? Nope. That's the problem. The issue is, is when we start making things that we can't prove from the Scripture just as important as the stuff we can prove from the Scripture, if my son grows up, and let's say, because you know what? I remember Dad growing up. It was awful. He always pushed his suit coat stuff. I'm not going to wear a suit coat. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to wear a suit coat. You know what? He always wanted me to wear a tie. I don't want to wear a tie. This is a zip up. I haven't tied a tie for a few years, so it worked out pretty well. Because I don't want to wear a tie. You know, and he was always preaching, and, and he's like, you know, I don't want to button the top button here no more. I just don't want to do that. I'm just done. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It doesn't really matter. And he starts dismissing the stuff that I can't prove from the Bible. I can't show you where it's at. But then he also says, and probably what he said about hell is probably not real either. And then what he said about salvation is probably not real either. The problem is when we start pushing things that we can't prove or show from the scriptures, we are elevating our opinions and traditions to the level of scripture. And the next generation, when they dismiss the traditions, human traditions, guess what else goes? The scriptural teaching. That's why it's so important that we hold on to the sufficiency of what the Bible reveals. God gave us the scriptures, not and he gave it to us, and they're sufficient to make a whole Christian. And it's important that as we teach our children, as we operate in our Christian lives, that we operate with the understanding that Scripture is sufficient. Going back to our passage, verse 15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It's sufficient to lead us to salvation. The scripture is given by inspiration of God, which is profitable for doctrine. It's sufficient for teaching. It's sufficient for negative correction. It's sufficient for positive re, uh, correction or negative reproof and then positive correction. It's sufficient for instruction and in righteousness. That the man of God or the disciple of Christ may be complete, perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything you need, God has given you to be a whole Christian. We make big mistakes when we start thinking that it's not enough and I have to start telling, I have to start putting in my thoughts. I have to start putting in what I think. Because the next generation, these kids are smart. I don't know how much you worked with them. I have some smart kids. And just because I said so is not going to work forever. So teach them from the Bible. Know that scripture is sufficient. Be careful that we emphasize what scripture teaches without... Uh, without emphasizing what I can't prove. So um, let's take some prayer requests, and then I will be done. Thank you, Elisha. Any prayer requests? Titus. The Ukraine. The Ukraine. Pray for Ukraine. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, sorry. You're fine. Pray for them. Definitely remember them. That's couldn't imagine. I saw a hand over here. Oh, okay. All right. Any other? No. Um, Ivan, would you pray for us?
He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. And he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he that planteth is anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Welcome to worship this morning. Thank you for being here, not for me, but to worship God and to be here for each other. Isn't that what this is all about? To worship God and community, we need each other. It's not about me when I come to church. It's got to be about so much more. It's springtime. It's my favorite time of year. I'm a farmer. And I raise plants. That's what I do. My my job involves a lot of things. Running equipment, a lot of working on equipment. But ultimately... I grow things. Growing a corn plant and a soybean plant that bears much fruit is my goal. And I will do whatever it takes to successfully grow a corn or a soybean plant. So my morning routine looks something like this. Vivi likes to wake up around 6 o'clock most mornings. She likes to get something to eat, some toast or some yogurt, some cereal, and then she wants to go for a drive. And so we go and we check the crops. And this started long before Vivi. All of my girls have enjoyed this, but Vivi is very regular with her time of arrival in the morning, it seems. We do this nearly every morning, rain or shine. We look at possibly half of our farms any given morning. She enjoys getting out and riding in the truck and sometimes listening to nursery rhymes or Bible songs if she can talk me into it. But I love to, I love to do this. I love to see the plants grow and thrive and have life in spite of the challenges they face, many challenges that, that come at them. Oftentimes the weather doesn't cooperate well for these plants. And so that's why I go, that's why I check on them. I'm, I'm scouting, I'm looking for problems, I'm looking for difficulties, and I'm looking for ways that I can help. This year we planted corn on the Monday before Mother's Day. 
Maybe most of you don't know this, but most farmers do, that planting around Mother's Day is something you shouldn't do. It just, more, to- more often than not, it doesn't work well. You either replant it or you get a partial stand. It's just not a very successful thing. If nothing else, it causes you to be frustrated or worry a lot. I planted on the Monday before Mother's Day. It seemed like enough time. But, and I remember having conversations even on that Sunday and Monday morning with different individuals. And I said, you know, we're probably going to go out and plant tomorrow. And then it's going to rain. And then it's going to get hot and dry. And the stuff's not going to come up. And I, I had that conversation with multiple people. And sure enough, I went out and planted Monday evening several farms, and it rained, and the next week was hot and dry and windy, and I just knew it wasn't going to come. I, uh, I've never given up on a crop. That's not my mentality. I also have never farmed in Kansas, so maybe it would be different if I was there, but that's just not in my nature. I'll do whatever it takes to allow, to help this crop succeed. And so I went out and I dug and and the ground was already beginning to get hard on top. I could tell because we had gotten enough rain. And what happens is that water rushes into that soil and it collapses the pore space and it collapses the air space and the soil aggregates melt together and there's no longer room for oxygen there. And there's no longer a place for those shoots to come through because it's just a, a solid chunk of dirt. And then as the sun beats on it and the wind blows, it just zaps all the moisture out of that and it's just a solid piece of dirt that cannot be penetrated and that's what was going to happen that week I could tell. But I went to the barn and I got my hoe out of the barn and it's not a garden hoe, it's a rotary hoe and it has tines on wheels all across the toolbar and they run on the ground and they, they fracture the soil and they loosen the soil with the goal of loosening it enough for the, for the crop to come up through. I hadn't had it out of the barn for seven years or so, and I got it out, and I ran it across that field, back and forth, a couple fields, back and forth, back and forth, and it's a a loud job, and it's a dusty job, and it doesn't steer very nice, but that's what I did, and Then I went back to my spraying and my fertilizing, my planting, and a couple days later, I checked on it again, and it wasn't good. It wasn't going to make it, and I didn't know what to do. I figured I probably was going to have to replant it. That could be done. We even have... It, crop insurance that would give some money towards replant to where it wouldn't really <clears throat> cost me anything. I'd just have to tear it up and, and replant it. But 
I never want to do that. And so I, <clears throat> I knew I needed to try something, and so I decided I was going to hoe it again. So I went out there and I hoed it again. And I guess I kind of had the mentality of, that the Bible talks about Jesus having when he leaves the 99 to go after that one sheep that's gone astray. You know, I had other planting and spraying that needed to be done, that could have been done, and I was out here working on this field that was probably going to fail anyway. But I did it. I hoed it again. And not with a lot of faith, but I did. And, <clears throat> you know, we got, let's see, the, it would have been almost exactly two weeks later, we got a tenth of rain also after I'd hoed it the second time about three or four days later. And between the two hoeings and that tenth of rain, I got most of the crop. Probably a 15 to 20% loss in stand, but it's something I can work with. So it was worth it in the end, even though I, I didn't do it with a lot of faith. Um, I knew I had to do something. And sometimes in life we get that way. We don't know that we can really help, but we know we need to do something. And sometimes we've got to cook a meal. And sometimes we've got to go on a visit. Sometimes we have to meet for coffee. Sometimes we have to go to the hospital. Sometimes we have to pray. Sometimes we have to offer a smile. No matter how hopeless things may seem, we have to do something. You see, God, he never gives up on people. And that was really where this message came from, from thinking about this in my mind the last few weeks and, and realizing that maybe I would fight harder for my crop than I would fight for you. Sometimes I want to give up on people. Sometimes it seems hopeless. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's deserved. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it makes us look bad. Sometimes we mess things up pretty bad, don't we? Hosea is a picture of God's love for his people. God wanted to communicate his love and his faithfulness to his people. And so what did he tell Hosea? I'm sure you're familiar with the story somewhat. He told Hosea basically to go down to the red light district and to find a prostitute named Gomer and to marry her. So he did. He brought her home. He married her. He loved her. He had children. And it kind of was working, it seemed. And then one day he comes home and she's gone. And his heart sinks and he goes back to that part of town where he had first found her. And he finds her in the arms of another man. He's devastated. God, I did what you told me to. I went and I got her. I brought her home and I married her and I loved her and now this. 
What do I do now? God says, go get her. Buy her back. Bring her home and love her again. Why? Chapter 3, verse 1 essentially says, so that the people will know how much I love them. It says that this is a picture of the love of God toward his people who look after other gods and love wine. Chapter 3, verse 1. And so I see a picture in that story of God not giving up on his people, though they've left him. And this message is a challenge for me to value people the way that God does. So my corn that I, that I hoed, I, I got to stand. And if I had not hoed that corn, I, I would not have, it wouldn't, I would have had to tear it up and start over. <clears throat> but, so we scout, these, we scout these fields, and these are some pictures of what, what you want to see. They're lush, and they're healthy, and they're green, and they seem to be thriving. As I scout, I'm looking for insects, and I'm looking for cutworms, and I'm looking for slugs, and I'm looking for nutrient deficiency. And I'm looking for weed pressure. And I'm making decisions and I'm trying to decide whether I need to spray and when I need to spray a fertilizer or a fungicide or an insecticide or a pesticide. What is it that this crop needs today? You know, these pictures, they look pretty good. The next one, it's got some good looking corn in it. That's what we want to see. But in both of these pictures, there are plants that appear to be healthy, and they are not. There's one little clue in this soybean plant. You've got a little yellow beginning on the leaf there, and there's actually a little bit of necrosis there in the bottom center. It's the tip of a leaf that's turned a little bit yellow. And that's just the beginning. There are two diseases, one in corn and one in soybeans. It's called crown root rot in corn. It's called sudden death syndrome in soybeans. And these are diseases that will show up in August. And when the symptoms appear, there's nothing that can be done for the plant. In fact, when they show up visually, that's not the time, that's not even close to the time that the plant was infected with the disease. A plant that shows SDS or root rot in August was always infected in April or May. It was infected as a young plant, and that fungus entered that plant, and it waited, and it waited for a moment of weakness. And it waited to attack until a time of stress. This soybean plant has sudden death syndrome 
Those leaves started out just with a little yellow like the previous picture and the tissue between the veins begins to die and become necrotic and eventually the leaves fall off like this picture here and there's nothing to provide photosynthesis for that plant and it dies. <clears throat> the years that these diseases are the most common are when it's wet in the beginning. Those roots struggle to develop properly. There's not oxygen in the soil because it's saturated with water. It can't get proper nutrients. It's stressed and that disease infects that plant. <clears throat> and it sits there until July or August when we find another stressful period. Generally, a lot of times we'll have a dry spell. And it gets dry and the plant struggles to get the nutrients that it needs once again because there's no moisture in the soil to, uh, to allow transport of nutrients to the roots. And again, it becomes stressed, and that's when that plant attacks. The, I'm sorry, the disease attacks that plant, and it dies. And I would submit to us this morning, sorry, I would submit to us this morning that when sin shows its symptoms in my life, it's not something that just happened. It's something that's been there for a while. It was conceived much earlier than when it's made known. There are a couple ways to protect against both crown root rot and sudden death syndrome. One way is to plant into great conditions. When the weather is perfect, when the soil conditions are good, when it's warm so that that plant can emerge and grow rapidly, not have any big rain events, and that disease will almost never show up if planted in those conditions. <clears throat> the other is to protect it with the seed treatment. It's somewhat new, but there are seed treatments that will protect against them. The problem is it's somewhat costly and those diseases are all they protect against, so if you don't need it, it seems like a waste. But when you do need it, it's very effective. On my farm, I treat to protect against these diseases because I don't always wait for ideal conditions to plant. <clears throat> Many farmers are reluctant to. But the question for us this morning is, am I protected or am I infected? The truth is that we will all experience this infection of sin in life. The Bible tells us that. It's, the question is, what we do about it? John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Romans says that all have sinned. And James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 read like this, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, 
bringeth forth death. And that's exactly what I see in these plants. I had to parallel that verse in my mind as I thought about the crops and how healthy they were looking. And I'd look down the rows, and some of the rows even today that are getting a little bigger, and I, and I have to wonder what plants might be infected, and there's no way for me to know. <clears throat> and I wonder about us spiritually. Is it possible that we are infected with sin and yet not allowing others to know? Is it possible that we're looking pretty green and pretty strong? But sin, when it has finished, bringeth forth death. And my concern this morning is that we would be protected from this infection through the only true protector, Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be protected from this disease of sin. And the truth of the matter is that when sin infects us, however well hidden it is, we can be assured that the end thereof will be death. Romans says the wages of sin is death. The analogy breaks down here a little because while there's nothing that can be done with crown root rot or sudden death syndrome in corn and soybeans, if you are infected by sin this morning, if I am infected by sin, there is hope for me. There is a cure. There is healing. This is different than with corn and soybeans. You know, the best possible solution for this disease is that we be rooted and grounded in Christ. That we be planted into good soil. And that we have roots that are strong and that go down deep. That we live for Christ. Or that we are protected as a, at a young age by believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And having faith in Him. Jordan put a seed coating of protection on his life as he's given his life to Christ and he's confessed him Friday night. And it's a powerful protection that God offers us. But you and I both know that this doesn't always happen because some of us are planted into adverse conditions adverse situations and it's somewhat of a suffocating environment at times kind of like the corn plant I described and, and for some it's a lack of oxygen and there's a lack of nutrition and the roots are unable to develop and sin can infect Sometimes it infects and it sits there for quite a while before it comes out. Doesn't necessarily come out until later in life or until we're stressed or until we hit a difficult situation. And there it is. It comes out ex exposed. And when you cut me open, I'm kind of like this corn plant. And you can see there the where the roots go into the stock. It's all black. It's filled with disease. It's all plugged up and it's blocked the flow of nutrients. 
and that plant died. In this picture over here, you can see there's six ears there that are really nice ears. But this one in the front, you can see it's hanging down. The stalk is dead. It's crown rot rot. On back there, there's another one hanging down. The stalk's dead. There's another one. There's about four on back there. There's some in the background. And those ears, they still have an ear. They, they started to produce fruit. It looked like they were all good back in, back in the earlier picture. But inside, they were dying. They were plugged up, and it caused death. And so sin will in our heart. It will block the flow. It will plug you up. The lies of Satan, the fear that he brings, the pride, the selfishness, it stops the flow of truth and peace and joy and life, and we begin to wither. We begin to die. I believe that every one of us have the potential to be infected with crown root rot, so to speak. To be infected with sin. My desire is for our children. That we as parents would allow them to be planted and to grow into a healthy soil, into a healthy environment, into a healthy culture where they could know truth and where they could be given God's word freely and abundantly and they could grow up and flourish in truth. They could be protected by having faith in Him for themselves at an early age. That's our desire. As a farmer, I can do everything that I <clears throat> think is right. But, you know, even putting that seed treatment on, even planting into good conditions, sometimes the disease continues to show up. You know, parents, we have a real problem on our hands. This world is throwing stuff at our children, hard and fast, angrily, blatantly. It's no longer hidden. Sin is on full display today. It's celebrated in this world that we live in. You know, it's normalized, it's smoothed over, and the rhetoric continues that sin is okay, that sin is good. And those messages are just being promoted over and over, and everything that we see and everything that we hear, it's, it's coming into. You know, arguably... Disney has created a lot of videos for children, and, and in the past, you could argue that <clears throat> maybe it was okay, maybe, maybe some of it was not harmful, maybe it was educational, it was funny, it was entertaining. It was seemingly harmless, but those days are gone. Disney is not harmless, and it is not educating our children in the way that we want in, in truth. You know, I, <clears throat> I just watched a video. Disney will plant that disease into your child. 
and it may sit there for a while. But I see it as a very similar concept as the way crown root rot and, and sudden death works. I, I just watched a, a video off of a popular Disney show that uh, it was just a clip that showed two male dinosaurs that loved each other and they wanted to have a family. And the characters in that show thought that that would be a wonderful thing. And they were excited that this was going to happen and they were going to have children. And this is for very small children, and it's become becoming normalized. It's a raging fire. It's building faster and faster, and I don't think it's going to stop. There's going to be some hard decisions that will have to be made that we've, we're not used to making in the, in the past. <clears throat> but I'm here to tell you this morning that even... If you have been infected by sin, there's hope. And maybe you're here and you've been in, maybe you're, you're looking pretty good. But you know it's not all good inside. I may not be able to see. You might look like the green corn plant. But you know it's not all good inside. And this morning I just want to point you to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that there's hope. And I want to direct you just to lay those burdens down and those sins down and to ask Him to give you that cleansing and that healing and to wash you whiter than snow. It's what He wants to do. Will you let Him do it? He can make you healthy again. He can make you flourish and while there's nothing that I can do in August for a corn plant to cause it to produce fruit, God can revive you. And God can make beauty out of ashes. And God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God never gives up on us. Let's not ever give up on each other. Sometimes we need to care for each other. We need, like the opening verse that I read, we need to dig around plants and fertilize them. We need to be honest. We need to be willing to ask for help. To cry out to God. So keep planting. Keep watering. Keep fertilizing. That's our job. God will give the increase. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you infected? Are you protected? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power over this disease of sin. 
Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross to forgive every sin, no matter how big, no, how to, no matter how many. Father, I just pray that every heart here would ask for that forgiveness, would ask for that blood to cover. Lord, we just thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that you promised to fill us, to guide us, to direct us, to lead us in this, this life that we live. And Lord, I just pray that you would revive our hearts again. Lord, that you would cleanse us of sin. That you would give us free flow of truth, Lord, through our heart and into our life. In the actions that we take, the decisions that we make, Lord, that we would just flow truth and peace and joy. Lord, that it wouldn't be hindered, that it wouldn't be stopped up by any little disease of sin. Lord, I just pray for each heart here as we go forward this week that we would care for others, that we would never give up on others in the same way that you continue to love us in spite of our failures. Lord, just help us to be willing to, to dig, to fertilize, to water, and to give you all the glory. We just pray for these children as they grow, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would give them, Lord, just a purity and a wisdom that comes from you. Just ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.